welcome to the Guitar Omni Podcast. I'm Carl Woolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Each episode, we'll chat with a featured guest from the classical guitar world. Candid conversations, unique experiences, and career observations from the people who best know the guitar. This is your master class in life and the guitar. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or see Carl Woolwind Guitarist on Facebook. Our guest is Kevin Taylor. He's the president of the company and the founder of the Child Blue Guitar Program in Austin, Texas. How are you doing, Kevin? I am just fine. I'm just fine. Happy to be here. You mentioned that you are in Austin, Texas. The Child Bloom Guitar Program is worldwide. <laughs> well, not quite worldwide, but nationwide, yes. Excellent. Great. And when did you start the, the Child Bloom Program? How did that all happen? Well, uh, I was a more or less an itinerant teacher. And um, uh, after my college years, um, uh, I studied guitar and a little composition and stuff at Florida State. Okay. And I studied with Mario Abril. He was the teacher. Oh, yeah. There. And, um, and there, there are interesting stories about <laughs> Mario. And, 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 and uh, he's, he's still around and he's still arranging. He's a wonderful arranger and a, a remarkable musician. Um, and... Um, I, uh, I studied at, at Florida State, and I studied uh, religion and philosophy at Florida State. That's what I got my major in, but I also oh, okay. studied music. And, and um, so uh, after I got out of school, uh, job opportunities for majors, philosophy majors weren't, weren't that. <laughs> they might be know. even fewer than for music majors. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. So I started teaching guitar, and I started teaching guitar in college. Uh, to, to people because I could play and and uh, um, and uh, so uh, I, I started teaching in a music store and in Tallahassee that's where I my family was at that time and um, so uh, the the I got there for several years in a music store and eventually uh, Mario had uh, after he left FSU, he went to Hanson Music Publishing in Miami okay. and did his series of books. And right. some people remember those books. They were mm -hmm. just pretty uh, innovative at the time, you know, doing arrangements yeah. and stuff for classical guitar. Um, and the arrangements were always very well done. Um, and um, so he, Mario eventually went to the University of Tennessee at Chattanooga and was head of okay. guitar and theory there. And they had a conservatory there, the Shadok Music Conservatory, which they still have. And um, he said, well, come on up and see if you can get a uh, uh, get a job up here. They, they have a job opening. So uh, I remember I, I was a very poor guitar teacher back then. This was in 73, okay. seven, I think it was in 73, something like that. Okay. And yeah, uh, I graduated in 71. And um, so I remember hitchhiking up there. Oh my gosh! Uh, from from <laughs> Tallahassee up to Chattanooga, and uh, uh, so uh, I uh, I got the job. I interviewed for the job and played and got the job. Uh, even though my uh, when I went up there, I visited another friend who lived 
in rural Tennessee and in the process of visiting him, I got stung by a bee on my right hand and my right hand swelled up like a balloon. And oh so, so I had to audition with that and, wow. and, and I had to shake hands with my left hand. Oh but but I got the job and and I was there for several years and uh, and and taught mainly high school kids um, uh, that were interested in guitar and um, I, I didn't teach any children there. Uh, there weren't many people willing to teach children uh, right. guitar back then and I remember being in the office once with a couple of the other teachers and. Uh, a, child, a mom called up and said, I have a six-year-old who wants to learn guitar. And so the secretary said, who wants to teach a six-year-old? And all the, all the teachers left the room. They all left. And I was left and I said, yeah, I'll try it, you know. So um, the six-year-old came in the next week, I remember, and I, ha I didn't have any experience with kids. Sure. Um, and uh, so he came in with his grandma and his sister and uh, I took the kid up a couple of flights up the stairs to my office up in the conservatory and sat him down and kind of got him in the right position. Yeah. And uh, I remember saying, okay, now uh, the first thing you have to do is you, you have to put your finger on the fretboard. And, and, I, and I put my finger, so, so put your finger here. And um, I remember he got up out of his chair <laughs> and walked over to my fretboard and put his finger on my fretboard. And, and I, you know, and I he thought, exactly hmm, what you asked him to do. I, I'm not, I'm not communicating with this kid very well. And, uh, and then I, and I said, and I said, well, maybe I should play something for him. So I played a little bit for him. And then I said, this is, you know, this is how we're going to learn how to play. And, and he started flapping his hands all up on the fretboard, nice. you know, and, and I thought, you know, this is, I'm not communicating with this kid. You know? he, he's not, we're not in the same wavelength at all. So I, I took him down and he sat next to his grandma. And I said, you know, I think he's a little too young uh, to learn right now. And um, whereupon he got up out of his seat, he walked over to me and as hard as he could, he hit me right in the stomach. Oh my gosh. And, and I thought, hmm. <laughs> He didn't like that. He wants to learn. Yeah. Anyway, um, I had no idea how to teach young kids. Yeah. And uh, I had some success with like teenagers. Mm -hmm. uh, and Mrs. Shadok, who was living at the time, and she came to me and said, uh, you know, Kevin, you're very, you're, your young students are very good. And these were teenagers. Mm -hmm. And uh, maybe you should start a children's program. And I remember <laughs> telling her, you know, she was a lovely, the dowager of the conservatory. I remember saying, Miss Shadok, I hate kids. You know, I, I, I could never do that. <laughs> right? And that, that was in, that was in 74, I think. And then I subsequently uh, moved to Austin in 1977. Okay. And, um, uh, uh a friend of mine lived here and he said, well, there's no good guitar here. You know, there's no, maybe you can start something. So I, I uh, started teaching in a music store there and uh, playing around doing gigs and stuff. And I got a job at a, an adjunct job at Southwestern University. Mm 
okay. in Georgetown, which is where I live now, but it, it's a little north of Austin okay. and about 30 miles north of Austin. And uh, so I started teaching there, teaching college kids. And then in 1979, someone interested me in actually starting a children's program and wanted me to write the curriculum. Okay. So I, I did some, re I started doing research on, I realized that if I was going to deal with children, I had to understand children. Sure. And that was my market. And that was who I was trying to construct a curriculum for. And also as a itinerant teacher, I had to construct a program that was valuable to teachers. Mm -hmm. um, the modus operandi for teaching back then, and, and a lot now too, is this is a one-on-one -on -one situation right. with, with teachers. And um, that has very limited economic right. uh, uh, implications for teachers, mm -hmm. um, especially if they work for, for studios because the studios have overhead that they have to take off right. of that. So um, I started a deep dive into child development. Uh, I had a friend in Tallahassee who, uh, Pat Siri, who started a, a program uh, called, uh, called Grassroots Free School. And he was an educator and he told me where to go, what to read, where to examine. And uh, I did that and, and, and uh, uh, I read everything in print that I could uh, about and by Suzuki, about the Suzuki program. Okay. I examined yeah. the Suzuki program because that was the one that was going on at the time. Right. Uh, that was teaching young people. Now, there was no Suzuki guitar at that time. Right. This was 79. And um, I looked at the violin curriculum, I looked at the piano curriculum, looked at the flute curriculum, curriculum. and I, I thought, you know, this is not going to work if, you know, the, they were basically adapted from the violin curriculum, all the other right. iterations of Suzuki sure. at the time. And I said, this is not going to work for guitar, technically. Uh, the, the children are not going to be able to, to do this. Five-year and six-year-olds are not going to be able to do this. Mm -hmm. um, and so I knew if that I had to construct a different curriculum. Um, and, and also there was no literacy involved in the Suzuki right. program. And even, and later on in, in 99, I went and got Suzuki training because I wanted to find out from the trainers what they thought about it, you know? Sure. And, and, and I remember uh, reading an article by Suzuki about literacy, you know, dealing with that issue of literacy and his words were basically, don't worry about it. You know, it, it was, it, there was no meth methodology, uniform methodology for teaching sure. literacy. All right. So uh, when I was at the university, I, I had the good fortune of being able to tell uh, work study students what to do. So, <laughs> so I, I said, all right, go get me every study that deals with children from the Journal of Research and Music Education, the Mank Journal, Music Education National Conference, yeah. and copy them and bring them to me. And I read everything in print, every study that I could. And there's some great information, yeah. by the way, there, and which music educators don't take advantage of, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, and so 
armed with all that knowledge, I, I, I was writing and rehashing and, and editing a curriculum that I thought would work. And in, and in May of uh, uh, 1980, I started my first classes. So it took you and, many years to put put that together. Then. Well, it no, it took it took took a couple of months. But as I was putting the the beginning stages of the curriculum together, I was still doing more research. Oh, I two see. and three okay. years later, process, you know, to right. to say, okay, let's. I mean, do I want, for example, when I'm teaching a child to read, do I want to use color mm-hmm. when we're teaching to read? Well, you go to the research, and it says. No, <laughs> you don't, it has no it has no effect. Right. You know, no no significant effect to use color in your in in your learning to read. Uh, right. Um, and and other things, uh, and uh, so so there were a lot of lot of information I could gather. Anyway, so I started uh, the program in in 1980, and. Um, uh, I think I started with seven students with a couple classes, and they were. I think I had three or four kids in a class. Okay, and how old? And uh, these were six and seven. Okay. I, I think I had a. I had one ten-year-old. I think, or uh, you know, from from that age, roughly between age five and and twelve. That's what I was. Okay. Mario had had showed me how to uh, generate publicity, so I generated some publicity for it, and. Uh, uh, got uh, got some people calling up, and we started them at, at a music store in in Round Rock, Texas. Okay, that was in May, and and then in uh, in September, I started at another music store in Austin, doing the same thing. Um, and by June, uh, I started in May. In June, I, I we, we we had a name for it, which was Child Bloom, and I I remember publishing my first newsletter. I realized that parental involvement, like, was very important. That was a Suzuki structure, and his philosophy, and 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 the reason is, and it's also according to child development that the, the kids learn within a matrix of the family and matrix of the parents initially, right. um, and so bringing the parents in was part and parcel of the child bloom thing right from the beginning, and but I realized the parents didn't. They didn't, many of them didn't know music. Many of them didn't know how to involve themselves. They wanted to involve themselves. They didn't exactly know what to do. Right. Um, and so I realized that I had to communicate with them. And so we started a newsletter in June of, of, that, of that year. Uh, every month, go to the parents and discuss issues and things that would come up in the process and how to deal yeah. with the many challenges of practice. Sure. and motivation and things like that and so we've continued that newsletter and i have one that's due on monday so i'm <laughs> writing an essay on that um and uh uh so the program was was pretty successful in terms of everything in terms of the kids were learning the parents were happy and in austin i started uh, another location and had about 10 students and so so I was up to about 20 students in a couple couple months uh, from May through September and then uh, within a year I was you know every so often I, I I would probably generate 40 students in a year 
Wow. And um, uh, I realized that the, there was a need here because nobody was teaching children guitar and guitar right. was an iconic instrument. Absolutely. Um, and uh, so it was a market that was very much ignored by yeah. guitar teachers. And, and, and for good reason is because it was really di it's it's difficult, difficult. Yeah. to teach children. Uh, their technical issues, their cognitive issues, their social issues, they're, they're, you know, just growing up, you know, it's, and, and that sort of thing. And you had to, you had to know a lot to be able to reach them. Uh, luckily, you know, the research I did helped a lot in developing a curriculum. Um, and um, so uh, in, in about two years, I, I remember I was just inundated. I couldn't teach all the students that wanted to wanted to uh, a nice take and, 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 <laughs> and I remember, you know, uh, in terms of the economics of it, it was, it was very good. I remember one time going to the bank and, and depositing a handful of checks, you know, that were like, I could barely hold them. <laughs> and, and I thought, you know, I'm onto something here. <laughs> and um, I, so I can tell I, you with absolute certainty that's an experience I've never had in my life. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I I had not, you know, I, that was something I had not uh, really thought hard about. You know, yeah. teaching other teachers and, and do that, but that, but that, the economics of it, I realized, you know, that this is this is a very valuable thing. It's a market that's opened up. Yeah. So I, I found a teacher in Austin. I trained my first teacher. I think it was in 83, okay. um, 82 or 83. And within a year, she had a good program. Wow. And uh, she wasn't even a, a trained classical guitar. She, she played with classical technique, was kind of a folky, could read music, mm -hmm. and was a good communicator. Sure. And, uh, and could play. I mean, she could play, you know, basic stuff and and uh, uh and that and she's still teaching the not childbone but she's up in uh, uh minnesota northern okay. minnesota right now i'm teaching um and um so a year later i i i got another teacher we found another location in austin and she started doing well she was more of a classical player mm -hmm. uh very wonderful communicator very wonderful people and lady and um, uh, so uh, it started to, uh, you know, it, was a, it, it started to, to, to be very, uh, started to have a name for itself. Tribal yeah. started to have a name for itself among, among the area. And at, the, and at that uh, time, did you have um, like a teacher training curriculum in place or were you just kind of sharing your experiences and what you had done? I would train the teachers as much as I could in the, in, uh, I guess you could say at that time with the local teachers, I was developing the training. I had to know okay. what did they need to know to go into a class? Right. Um, what did they need to know about children? What did they need to know about the curriculum? What did they need to know about the diagnostic of technique? Uh, I, I remember having a discussion with Doug Smith. I don't know if you know who mm -hmm. he is but no. he started a program similar program in uh, uh, St. Paul okay. at McPhail back in the 
about 80, in the 80s also. And he, he gave a, a seminar and I decided to go up there. And so I talked to him and, and um, he said something very interesting. He said, teaching children is a shaping technique. Mm -hmm. it's, it's a shaping process, their technique. They don't, it's like teaching a remedial student from the second lesson on. Right. You know, you can teach them how to do something. The next week they will come in and they will do it wrong. Right. So, so the essence of teaching children is not to teach them. Well, you want to teach them, try to communicate the, the proper thing initially, right. but it's how to then reinforce the proper techniques, the proper sure. motor skills, uh, the prop, the proper everything, you know, how ways to practice, ways to sit, you know, things like that. And so, uh, with the early teachers, uh, I was teaching what they needed to do to be successful in the classroom. Um, by the uh, mid '80s, uh, I started training some teachers outside of Austin. And I, at that time, I had a manual, training manuals, that okay. sort of thing. And they would come to Austin to train. Other teachers would have to come to Austin to train. And it would be a five, six-day training period. Okay. Uh, and in and, uh, 94, I started training outside of Texas. And um, again, people would have to come to Austin and and train, and it would be at that time it was a six-day training period from Monday through Saturday, and there's a lot of information that they would because we were training not only in how to teach children and child development and uh, classroom dynamics, but also training in marketing, sure, and uh, advertising and. Uh, uh, provide them with an image package and right. how to deal with the brand, uh, how to deal with, you know, what the various, we would sit down and, and do a media buy for them, you know, and plan a media buy. Wow. And uh, so that they could go back and generate students right. and generate an income. A lot of these teachers and most of the teachers were not single-mindedly, you know, child bloom educators. Sure. They were, like I was, there was an itinerant teacher. Many of them taught adjunct at universities. Right. Uh, child bloom was a sideline, as it was with me initially. Um, many of them were giggers, you know, they right. would gig. And this was great because they could gig at night, they could teach in the teach. afternoon yep. and, and make uh, a very efficient, much more efficient uh, uh, income for the time they spent teaching because they were teaching up to eight kids an hour right uh, effectively um i remember we had one teacher um jeff culver i don't know if you ever oh yeah, I know jeff. yeah 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 he was he was a teacher he was a teacher for a number of years and then he decided to go to law school yeah i didn't yeah i didn't realize he had done the child boom thing yeah, yeah yeah and so he had a program you know 35 yeah. or so students was that in toledo he, huh was he in toledo at the time yes i think yeah, so okay yeah and yeah. um wow so he taught all his students on saturday yeah 
and went through law school. So that was an income that helped him go through law school. And even after he became an attorney for a while, he kept his program. Oh, fantastic. And then he got a, a big job with the education department or something like that, or some of, you know, dealing with education uh, and, and then left child bloom. But, but it was a case where he went on to, you know, uh, you might say a real career. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, it showed that he could uh, have an extremely efficient sure. and productive Saturday Right. teaching you know yeah. he, uh, so th that's an example of of the, the, the value of the structure of child room which is yeah. um you know why would anybody do it is because, because of, <laughs> of, of, of they can just make more money at it you know sure. and 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 at the same time do a uh if they were good teachers they could produce a lot of reach a lot yeah. of students and um teach them well right uh, and the kids would, would learn and um, in fact we have a, n a number of our teachers that were child room students oh my gosh um, you know yeah. and um Alyssa that's, that's, that's really Catlin that's great St. Louis, that's cool. yeah. yeah yeah um and uh that's very gratifying yeah and now since I've been at it 40 years um I have old child room students that are bringing their kids oh wow in, into into uh into our program and say, Oh, I have such good memories of this. I want my kids to learn. That's and fantastic. Uh, so uh, that's very gratifying. Yeah. Also, I didn't know that would, I never anticipated <laughs> something like that would happen. Yeah. Um, but uh, it does. And um, that's nice. Uh, so uh, that's kind of, you know, how this, how it developed. And um, the uh, uh, the latest developments in the program are that since the pandemic, well, even before the pandemic, uh, I did a session with a uh, neurologist in Canada. Uh, 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 Toronto's a big hub for brain plasticity, neurology, and all that. Okay. And, and I did a, a session with a guy named Joaquin uh, Faraya. And... Uh, a week-long session with him and he told me so much about he taught me so much about the neurology of biomechanics he has a doctorate in biomechanics okay uh helps musicians and things like that um and so we started a online club for our students to help on a practice club huh. and so so we go through uh all our curriculum and as you know, it, when you're starting a, for example, you're starting a, a piece of music and you're learning it, 95, 90% of the music, you can probably play pretty easily. Right. You know, right. you've got that one, two, three, four, five percent yeah. of the of the parts that are just <laughs> pull your hair out. Yeah. You know, yeah. can I ever do it? Well, so we go through our curriculum. Every piece, according to the age of the child, has that. Right. Uh, even the easiest stuff. Sure. Um, there's parts that they come back and they don't play well. So we took all those parts from the very beginning through the most advanced books, and we're actually adding more stuff now, but and did video practice videos of left and right hand. Great. Very slow. Yeah. The the videos can be sped up or slowed down. Uh, and uh, 
we repeat those passages. The right. kids can play those passages. Uh, and uh, we repeat them like six times. Yeah. And um, uh, when the kids get on the club and start doing that, they come back and they learn those, those passages are, are learned. Sure. It's, a, sure. it's an amazing thing. Uh, we, we realize that it's hard work and, and concentration to, to play something perfectly for six times. Very, yeah. you know, very, very difficult right. uh, to concentrate. And, and so uh, we're getting messages from the parents. Uh, you know, this isn't much fun. <laughs> and, 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 and I said, okay, okay. So we programmed at the end of every video, we, I had to go in and, uh, we programmed a joke that appears after every video. So, so they, have, they do it, they get to, they get to the end and then they get, they get a joke. Oh my um, gosh. so fantastic. we have these, we have a, a program that, that gives them jokes. Um, but that's the Childland club and, okay. Uh, parents who come into our program, they get an invitation to join, and it's a, it's a secure website. It's a deep mm -hmm. website. You know, it's not advertised, or there's no advertising. All the videos are streamed. It's it's a terrific, terrific, uh, uh, a great resource. Develop, yeah, yeah gr great resource. And then now, uh, last summer we developed, we put on a training course for instructors. Okay. So we have two types of uh, uh, licensing. We license directors and we license instructors. Directors are the, like uh, Brian Kozak, he's a director. Right. And he is in charge of his area. He owns his area. And uh, should he want an instructor, he can sponsor an instructor. Okay. So the training of the instructors is mainly with pedagogy and curriculum and client relations. Uh, it's not marketing. It's not branding. Right. It's not there's no image package that they receive. The director. So, so they yeah. work essentially under the director. Right. And so uh, we developed a training package for instructors online. So now people don't have to come to Austin to train. Oh, they can okay. train at home. And, and uh, uh, in August, we finished the director training package. And the director training well, they'll have to be luckily for zoom we can do some zoom discussion and things like that right um but the uh, again the directors they receive the image package the marketing information demographic information um one of the things i did very early on in childland and being a uh you know a teacher and and i i in my in my early background, my family, I, I did not come from an affluent family. Right. Uh, as a child, I, I uh, early child, uh, you know, we had a farm. We lived on a dairy farm in in uh, Pennsylvania, um, and uh, uh, so I didn't have much musical training uh, unless you call singing to the cows uh, <laughs> uh, musical musical training. Uh, uh, one one interesting story, and and uh, I remember when I was about seven years old, we're at the dinner table, and my mom said, "You know, the vet was up in the in the barn, and he he heard you singing, and he really liked your singing." <laughs> and and I was so embarrassed by that, and then but but it struck me, you know, it was like a a validation that it was sure. okay. Yeah. You know? 
And then about 30, 40 years later, I started thinking about that. I thought, what is the vet doing up in the barn? <laughs> and I realized the vet was inseminating our cows. And, and so my singing maybe made, made his uh, job a little easier and relaxing the cows. I don't know, but, but uh, that was, oh, that's, that's kind that's of an amusing. Fantastic. Oh, that's hilarious. <laughs> so, you, um, could make, you could make a recording for vets worldwide. <laughs> yes. Yes, a podcast for the cows. I'm sh I'm sure oh there's something gosh. like that. Or, oh you know. my gosh! Um, <laughs> well, so, if, if uh, nothing else, I'm sure you made his job more enjoyable. Because yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. sure, I'm sure anyway, that's not yeah. a, a terrible. Uh, I like the acoustics job. of the barn, you know, and and everything like that. So, um, but uh, 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 so so the 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 director training now is online and. And uh, so I'm very encouraged about that. And, and it saves the directors a lot of money. Sure. People that want to do this, you know, that's it's uh, it, it's probably, you know, travel to Austin, staying for a week. You know, that's a couple of grand. Yeah. And uh, that money can go towards developing an income stream, right. you know, and sure. developing a program. With, um, with the directorship, what how broad a geographical area did does that that's done by negotiation you know okay. i mean if someone says i want the whole state uh well i no that's not going to happen <laughs> uh unless you guarantee that you're going to you know have 400 students in the right you know right. by a certain amount of time no it it the the how we determine that initially there's something written in the in the agreement uh it's an eight mile radius. Well, how did we come up with that? We came up with that because we uh, did questionnaires with parents. Sure. Um, and we asked them, how convenient is the studio? Right. And then we took those calculations, knowing where those parents live, their addresses and everything, and realized that after about eight miles away, the parents start to uh, mark that down right you know within an eight sure. mile rate you know radius it's okay now yeah. so but you know that's negotiable because every market is different right. if you're in a, a rural area eight miles is nothing, miles is nothing you know yeah. so you it's too far we might do <laughs> we might do a whole county give right. the give okay. the person a county yeah. we have a new director in uh virginia and so he you know, we talked about this. What do you want? You know, my yeah. my position. What what area do you want? And so he just named the townships around where he his yeah. studio would be. And I said, okay. I looked at the map. I said that sounds reasonable. And it's a large area. It's, you know, five or six hundred thousand people in that area. But right. that's okay. You know. Sure. And um, so. Uh, and how many how many directors do you have in the program? Uh, we have, I think we have 24 directors and they're in about 30, 35 MSAs. MSA MS. being Metropolitan Statistical oh, okay. Area. Gotcha. That's a buying area. So right. for example, I have, uh, I'm, we're in Round Rock, Texas. Well, that's a different MSA than Austin, Texas, even though okay. we abut Austin. People that are in Austin are not gonna come to Round Rock to shop. And vice versa, right. people in Round Rock are not going to go to Austin to shop. So it's a shopping area. Huh. And and so uh, 
our, a lot, a, a number of our teachers have more than one location, more than one studio. It's a good oh, okay. strategy, a satellite strategy, yeah. uh, okay. as long as they are apart from each other and are in different MSAs. Right. Uh, you don't want to. So you, you don't want to so compete you really, with yourself. Really do some research on the area and the demographics and whatnot. And well, the teachers know. Yeah. The teachers know. You know where you're not going to go to shop. You know, right. if you're in Columbus, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, I don't think you'll go to Akron or anything like Probably that. Probably not. <laughs> um, to, it depends on what I'm buying. <laughs> um, but so we rely on the teachers to to know their market area. Yeah. I mean, it's not we're pushing it. It's not like a franchise. We right. don't you know, determine how much to advertise or uh, anything. We offer our image package, we offer our training, we offer our curriculum, and we offer our trademark and the brand and and teachers use it for what they, right. they want. We, we don't push, we don't require anything. Franchises are very like uh, School of Rock say. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a huge investment with School of Rock and you right. have to According to my research, you know, you have to have enough capital for six months of rent and right. and all that. You know, it's it's and then you uh, you have to generate students. Yeah. So it's, it's it's more of like a support umbrella kind of arrangement than it is a franchise or, or a licensee. It's a license. Kind of thing. We license. It is a license. It's, okay. Yeah. It's it's not a franchise, and and there are right. legal, you know definitions and divisions right. between those two things uh it's not even a um i wouldn't even consider it a uh, business opportunity it's more of a credential thing okay. and then we let you use our brand and we right. train you at it how to use it and you sure. can use it or not you can use our training or not it's right. very free i know that guitar teachers are very individualistic right you know they're they're a lot of them are uh they don't, you know, they, they don't want to be told what to do. <laughs> we, and, we don't uh, play well with others. <laughs> yeah, some of them, some of them don't. Some of them don't. And, and many, many of them don't, especially if they're entrepreneurial. You know, right. and I came from an entrepreneurial background. And I, I, my career has been in the marketplace. Right. You know, it, it hasn't been in the institutions, the churches, right. or the even the university, even though I was a uh, a university teacher for 14 years, it was a very minor part of my income. Right. And um, so it was it was a tool I used. The university mm -hmm. was a tool I used. And a, a number of teachers are like that. Like uh, Brian Kozak is a good example. You sure. know, he, he teaches at universities. He's a music director for a church. Yeah. He, uh, and then he has his child loan program. It's a, it's a tool he uses and that's, right. Great, and, and they can what, and they can all complement one another as, as well. Yeah, and yeah, that's, yeah. That's and the and then I you found. have, and you have uh, uh, students that develop, and uh, then you can put to you know we were one of the first to put together guitar ensembles. Yeah. Uh, Nineteen eighty four, um, I, I started my first ensemble, yeah. and um, the model I had were the Romeros. Okay. And uh, and so. Uh, uh, but we had teenagers, 12, 13, 14, and 15 year old. Yeah. And uh, they played, they did very well around, you know, it was nobody had ever heard anything like that. It was only a quartet. Sure. And, um, and then eventually we broadened it out with, with larger groups. And this was again, uh, one, of the, one of the things that I filtered my, my, entrepreneurial imagination with is that 
when I add something to the program, it has to fulfill two functions and they can't fight each other. They have to, the first function is, is it pedagogically sound? Okay. Do the kids, does it help the kids uh, learn? Does it help them with their motivation? And is it economically good for the teacher? If there's something that is negative on any of those, I don't put it in. Sure. Right? So the ensemble was the perfect vehicle for that. The kids, once they were 12 or 13 or 14, they didn't want to necessarily be called child bloomers anymore. Right. Uh, they were teenagers. So we would have a new name for their the group. I, I chose Austin Bellacorda as named for my Okay, group. okay. And, That's where the Bellacorda uh, comes from. Okay, yeah. yeah. I've seen that on, on Brian's stuff, yeah. And um, so it was great. The kids would come together. They would socialize in larger groups. And of course, the economics was good because you would be teaching. Uh, you were charging more for that privilege right. and the parents would likely and pay. And I would because think for the was, younger students as well, it creates kind of something incentive you know so well that they can they can aspire towards like i hope that i can be in that one day you know yeah 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 exactly it was iconic in the program yeah and i had many kids say how do i get into bellacorda yeah that's great and, and it's like you know you create that how do i get to carnegie yeah. hill right. <laughs> <laughs> practice 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 yeah. and and so uh it motivates the younger yeah. kids and uh and then the older kids uh we did a lot of you know, it wasn't, if you think about it, I know you've been in the field for 20 years or so, haven't yeah. you? 25, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> more or less. <laughs> and and so, so competitions didn't start until, gosh, maybe, maybe, uh, I mean, youth competition. Yeah. Didn't oh, yeah. start until maybe. That's yeah. very recent. Yeah, 15 years ago, something like yeah. that. Uh, I think the first one that I was at, Oberlin, I think. Oh, sure. Okay. Yep. It, uh, it might have been the first or second year. I think it was the first year of, yeah. of the GFA um, uh, youth competition. And that opened my eyes. Yeah. Um, going to there and interviewing the kids. I remember, <laughs> I remember uh, I had a friend uh, that was in the, uh, the, the, the main competition of one of my teachers. And um, uh, Isaac Bustos, oh, and yeah. and and so all these guys, these college kids, you know, they're grad students, and they're sitting in their hotel rooms, and they're just <laughs> sweating and getting hives, and and uh, you know, busting their butt trying to you know learn, you know, make sure that they're pra they're practicing and intense, you know, they're just uh. and and so I interviewed the kid that won the. Uh, the youth competition. I think he was 10 or 11 years old and he played great. And I, it just blew my mind. Yeah. And so I, I made a point to interview him and I said, well, gee, uh, how, how'd you, you know, tell me about yourself. And he said, well, my, my sister plays violin and my, my family, you know, they, they, they're musical, you know, and they, they play in musical instruments. I said, well, how much do you practice? He said, well, for this, I practiced nearly two hours a day. 
and and I thought two hours a day is a warm up for, for these guys these guys at the at, yeah. at the higher levels yeah and he said well I don't usually play that much you know um, but for this I I usually just practice about a half hour Amazing. but but I and and so it it also showed the extraordinary development of of the the kids uh, and this was a he was a uh, pre-adolescent a prepubescent kid he was sure. 10 or 11 he had you know puberty hadn't even kicked in yet yeah and and i think this and i can't remember his name but he, he went on to be uh play it from the top and okay. um which was a uh you know a real feather in his cap and, oh, he played yeah. well. and i think he went on to to study and and if if I heard his name, I would remember it. And you would probably remember it too. And he's probably in his uh, late twenties, maybe early thirties by now. And it's not Javier not... Yara, is it? Huh? Javier Yara? No, no, no. It wasn't him. It was way before him. It was. It, okay. it was. It was uh, uh, like the first or second time. And uh, so, uh, well, we started. Uh, offering competitions to the, okay. to the kids, you know, telling the kids about competitions. There's one in, there was a big one in Dallas, uh, Texas competition. And um, so, and, and some of these kids, you know, it, it's not appropriate. Competitions are not appropriate for them. Uh, right. it, 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 you know, it just, it kind of ruins them. Right. Uh, they play just for competitions. And I've had, I've had really hot players monster players just play comp for competitions and i keep saying you need to play for audiences if you're gonna if you <laughs> want to make a career for this yeah. you know not 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 guitarists but for audiences and and but they're caught up in the competition thing sure, and, sure. and uh, so i remember our first foray into competitions which was back in about 17 years ago and uh, i sent a little kid up, he was 10 years old, 11 years old, up to Dallas. And uh, he played so well, he, he won the competition, he played so well that the judge, one of the judges called me up and said, wow. uh, I just heard your student, you know, uh, what, you know, what did you do with him? You know, and I, said, I, I don't know, he just, he just plays and he, he's pretty good. Uh, so, uh, and then we, Next year we went up and a couple others went up and they would always win and they'd expect us, they'd expect the child to win. Yeah. Huh. Um, and, uh, 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 and then we started, you know, trying to do the GFA and stuff like that. And, and some of the kids got in the semis and they were doing pretty good. Uh, our latest wunderkin was a guy named Eitan Benevy and, um, he uh, had been in the finals every time he played, and he just won the Stroud last year. Oh, okay. Or, or two years yeah. ago, he won the Stroud, and, and, and he's uh, he's from your program in Austin. Yeah, he he he, he was from our program. He's at UT now with Adam Adam Holt. Okay, yeah, yeah. And uh, smart, smart guy. And um, how old was he when he started playing? Let me see right here. I have my <laughs> I have my database right here. And um, oh, 
He was 4.91 years old when he started. 4.91. <laughs> wow, that's, uh, that's some specific data keeping you have going on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he, he start, Yeah, he started in uh, February of 2007, and his birthday wow. was March. So yeah. right before his fifth birthday, he started. Great. Wow. And um, so he had played a long time, you know, this most of his life he, yeah. he played and he's a tremendous artist um and uh in fact uh, uh as you probably know uh, uh angelo giardino yeah. uh, passed away a couple of weeks back very mm -hmm. sad um uh, i had a nice internet relationship with angelo we communicated yeah. a lot and um uh uh, Aton was a very fine player, this young young man, and and I, I thought he's such a good player. He can play anything in the repertoire. Yeah. Uh, he needs to have stuff written for him. Yeah. You know, he needs to commission works. So I asked Angelo. I said, Angelo, I had this really good young player. He's sixteen years old or 15 years old. And uh, I think, you know, he, he's from a rather affluent family and I think they could afford to, to pay for commissions. How do you work your commissions? And he told me, and he said, I'm going on vacation and I'll look at, uh, he had a couple of videos up, uh, mm -hmm. one of Ponce and stuff. And he said, I'll, I'll look at the videos. So three days later, uh, I get an email from, uh, Angelo, and he said, I've seen this boy's video. He's something very special. Here is a piece I wrote for him. Oh my gosh. <laughs> three, three days. It was, it was nine, nine minutes long, nine minutes long. And, and, uh, oh man, I, I did have to tell him, you know, there's no place he could play this. It's right. too, it's too long for a competition, <laughs> you know? Uh, so, so he, he shrunk it up. And it's a beautiful piece. One of it's a wonderful piece, wow. uh, 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 "Joyful Island," it's called. Oh, and so he dedicated it to Aton and let Aton do the fingering. It's published by Bourbon, and oh, um, it was a wonderful uh, gesture on yeah. on Angela's part. And subsequent to that, he started a internet relationship with Aton, and and uh, he wanted to write a a, a, a concerto for him, but. Oh you know, never got around to it. And, yeah. And Aton was, was saying, you know, I've never done a concerto. I don't think, I don't think you ought to do that yet. <laughs> you know, um, and, but uh, Aton was a, he's a very brilliant kid. Yeah. And um, he, he's actually, he he's, uh, well, I can look. He is. <laughs> uh, he's in your database. Uh, He's he's uh nineteen. Okay. He'll be nineteen in in uh, uh, in in March. No, he'll be twenty okay. in March. So he's okay. twenty, and he'll be someone you'll hear about. You know, he's yeah. like uh, you know some of these young bucks that. Yeah. Uh, but but. Uh, a very fine artist, um, and uh, and we've had other, you know, hotshot players 
come out of our program, which is gratifying, but that's really not what we're about um, primarily. We always love it when we get these students, as you do, I when think you it's, get a real... It's, it's, it's confirmation that you're doing something right, I would think, you know, I mean, you're, well, you're one focusing... Well, one would hope so, you know. You're focusing but, on, on other things, and, and it sounds like you're focusing on, number one, supporting teachers and helping them to teach in an effective manner and create a community focused around helping young people play the guitar well and you know one of the one of the results of that over a long period of time is that you're going to get young people playing the guitar very well you know that's right that's right the uh the presence of competitions that started uh i think helped you know i a lot of there's a lot of discussion and argument about competitions you know the value of competitions and stuff but i think it's very valuable yeah. And uh, for, for young kids that are inclined that way, it can be deleterious if they're only inclined that way. Right. And um, I can, so I that's can a, be devastating as well for, for, for sensitive yes, students. Yes, you know, yes, I, I think, I think I've um, seen that more and, than a time. And uh, that's right. That's right. But usually the kids, you know, a teacher's not going to send a, a child that is going to fail into a competition. You know, <laughs> right, uh, right. Not yeah, a good teacher a anyway. <laughs> not a good teacher. We have competitions. We have monthly competitions for our Chablum students. Okay. We announce them in the newsletter, but they're very, they're, they have to do with curriculum. You know, we'll have, and we tell the parents, right. if your child cannot take losing, don't have them enter the competition. Yeah, right. You know, because some kids... Like you said, they get disturbed if they yeah. can't do that. Do you um, do you do that at the at the at the level of the directorship, or is that a child bloom wide competition? It's a thing? it's a child bloom wide. It's announced in the newsletter. Okay. And uh, for example, we have a uh, we have a Christmas music that we uh, we we publish. Right. You know, they're uh, one size fits all Christmas music. It's for the very young the people that are just learning to read music, and then those that can play multi-voice music. And uh, so we have a Christmas contest every year. Uh, send us a video of two of you playing two of your pieces. And it's according to age, and they get prizes. You know, we send them yeah. gift cards and stuff like that. Um, so uh, uh, some of the, you know, Sometimes we have tremendous, uh, 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 you know, response. Sometimes we only get two or three people responding right. to those contests. Sure. Uh, one of our, our best contests was last year where I wanted to find out, okay, who's the hot, who's the hot shot? I wanted to find <laughs> out the hot shot of the nationwide. So, so it was a young artist competition and the, and the prize was $500. And so, we, I kind of knew who would who would win it if he entered. It was right. a student in uh, Spartanburg, okay. uh, South Carolina, um, who is now studying, I think, up in uh, Cleveland. Okay. Um, who is the director uh, in Spartanburg, South Carolina? Uh, Michael Miller. Michael okay. Miller, great. Uh, he's been a great teacher for many years, um, and <laughs> so I think this this young man knew he was going to win. <laughs> and so I had the rules set up. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, for the for this, and he didn't follow the rules. 
Oh no. And so I'm sure, and he played, you know, he played a very advanced stuff, the Giuliani grand solo and, or, or right. you know, grand overture and, and stuff like that. And he played, he didn't play it great. It's kind of sloppy, but much at a higher level than a lot of the other students. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't give him, I couldn't, Oh, give him no. the award because oh, he didn't no. follow the rules. Oh, you know? no. and and uh, there's a lesson. <laughs> I, and, and I said, this is probably the best lesson he's going to learn. Yeah. yeah. So uh, because he didn't he didn't need the the award, I don't think. Sure. And uh, I think he needed the the instruction more than right. the award. Yeah. So I don't yeah. know if if that helped him or not. He's a really fine musician, a young musician. And I'm, um, I'm, sure, I'm sure he'll lodge that away and, and that'll be something I, I, I hope, career. He'll I hope he, he knows sure who he is. So I hope he, fine prints. <laughs> yeah, I hope he, uh, it wasn't that fine, but it was yeah. pretty, uh, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, he used old videos rather than a new video, things like that, you know, right, that, that right. I could tell it. It wasn't oh, uh, contemporary man. and stuff like that. But, you know. Anyway, so, uh, uh, we all have to learn these things. Yeah, you know? that's right. That's right. So um, one way or another. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so uh, that's again, that's some of the things that we offer the uh, uh, the teachers. You know, if if their student wins a contest, right? Uh, Do you, then, um, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, then the teacher can. Take a picture of the student. Right, of course. Yeah. Write a press release. Yeah. So and so wins national contest. Nice. You know, get yeah. it in the paper. There's your marketing. Absolutely. Right there. You yeah. know, and and so that's an example of something that's good for the student and good for the teacher. You know, Absolutely. Economically and and uh, and good for the community fun. too. You know, I mean, those things. Those yeah, things are yeah, assets because to a community. You know, giving giving children really positive things to do. You know, um, getting them that's involved right. in, in music. You know, I, th I think that's that that has ripples throughout. You know, a community, and I think that's that's a really important thing to to consider. With all yeah, of that as exactly, well. exactly. And uh, uh, so I was so, going to ask, yeah. is is the program designed for to start a specific age? Through a specific age, or is is it? Can kids jump in at any any age and be successful? Is there an age out program like you, you cannot do this anymore once you've turned eighteen? Or what's what's the story on on all of that? You mean you mean being a child bloom student? Yes. Oh well, or being in the program, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we uh, uh, initially for a number of years, our marketing message was kids between five and twelve. We wanted oh, okay. basic prepubescent wow. but yeah. um over the years we realized that there are 12 year olds that come into the program sure. and we have three or four years definitely worth of curriculum right. and so they may be 16 or 17 by by the time they finish the curriculum or they may be in a child bloom ensemble yeah. and, and so it's the same curriculum as the younger children are, are following or is it, do they have it, a specific it, curriculum? it is it is okay. and uh the thing is the children Let's say you have a five-year-old that comes into the curriculum and you have a 10-year-old that comes into the curriculum. The 10-year-old will breeze through the curriculum approximately six times faster wow. than the five-year-old. Okay. So what it takes uh, huh. a five-year-old uh, maybe six weeks to learn, it'll take a 10-year-old maybe one week to learn or two weeks sure. to learn. Okay. 
and so that they go through it and then uh, eventually uh, enter into the, the literate stage. Uh, we start with a pre-literate stage because we want right. to develop their technic technical skills. Mm -hmm. uh, then we have a really great literacy program, you know, where they uh, learn to read music and we don't teach tab. Um, and uh, I know sometimes that teenagers come in with tab and <laughs> I'll hit them with a stick. But no, they're very literate. The kids become very yeah. literate. Um, and it, you know, it's, it's, uh, we have, uh, on, on the, on the club, uh, one of the things we've developed is an interactive flashcards. Uh, mm -hmm. we have flashcards in our, our book that for the parents to use, but you know, the parents don't know where the notes are. Right. Flashcards are, you know, where you, you know, what flashcards do you see the, yeah. you see the note and play it. And, uh, but the parents were reluctant to use them, even though we put them in the book for parents yeah. to use, because they don't know if they're not guitarists and they're not musicians, right. they don't know if it's correct. what's right or wrong. Yeah. So we developed a flashcard app, put it in the club and the kids can use it and interact with it. I mean, it's interactive. Sure. Uh, bring it up on your screen and you, you play the note and it, tells you whether it's right or wrong and you count, you know, you can do it for a minute, two minutes, uh, one minute. Um, you can choose which strings you're working on. If you're working right. on string one and two, you can do that. If you're working on open strings, you can do that. And we also have an upper position one. So that if uh, later on, as, as you, after you learn notes in the first position and everything and start to translate them and transfer them into upper positions, we have an upper position app that they can use the same same basically the right. same programming sure. except it extends it extends up to the 12th fret and stuff like that so they can yeah. play i'm i'm, I'm having forward. now it's like wow i wish i had access to this when i was a kid <laughs> yeah, yeah me, <laughs> too. Know, I mean, me too my goodness <laughs> And, it, and it's like, you know, I don't, I, I don't teach many children, um, but, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah, this is, this is, this is exactly what people need for that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the, uh, we, I, I don't push kids into reading music. We don't do that yeah. because cognitively it's, it's a real uh, challenge. at younger ages, kids are, you know, it discourages them. They're yeah. not symbolic like that. Yeah. And as you know, the music reading on the guitar is not like the piano. Right. Where piano is directional, it, it, we work with a, a, a you know, a matrix right. on the fretboard, and and that requires. Uh, it's very abstract. Yeah, yeah, it's abstract. It requires higher cognitive skills. So I don't like teaching kids, getting them into to, to uh, reading, uh, until at least there's you know late six seven. Yeah. And even then, sometimes we go very slow and, and, and that sort of thing. Uh, but by the time they're nine or 10, they're processing the notes really well. And, and uh, uh, you know, that we have solo curriculum by then after the right. reading materials and sure. that sort and of thing. And with, um, with the curriculum development or the, 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 um, the repertoire development part of your curriculum, 
I imagine you start to introduce standard repertoire at some point in time. It is, or is that? Do you have lists of th things suggested for certain levels, or how how is the, how is that integrated into the curriculum? Well, the curriculum is structured in a kind of a tree, curriculum tree, uh, and so there's a trunk, and then there are branches. Okay. Um, and so we have a pre-literate system that all students go through, and it used to be. And this started very early. This was at the very beginning of childhood. And of course, back then there were cassette tapes. The kids have to hear oh the music. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. And so we produced cassette tapes yeah. that the parents, you know, when they enrolled, they would be given that and the kids would have to hear the music. And that was, that's an extremely important, especially for in, in the preliterate phase. Uh, and then the research shows that the listening to the music is a very key. It's much stronger than just seeing it right. um, or seeing it written out in any form or fashion. Uh, and then of course, you know, CDs came around. So we had to transfer everything for CDs and we worked many years with CDs and now CDs are non-existent. Nobody has CD right. players anymore. <laughs> so that was another reason why we moved, why we developed the online thing. Yeah. So when a parent comes on, they can listen to the music, the child can hear it, they can see it now, see yeah. it being played. Um, and the music is, is arranged in parts, it's part music. Okay. Uh, so the kids, if you have two, three, four kids in a class, they can all play parts. It's a very vibrant class when you have part playing. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the parts are arranged in a, uh, a technically hierarchical order. You know? Okay. Uh, and so uh, you learn one part, and then you learn another part, new technique. You learn another part, new technique. Learn another part, new technique. Um, and um, so after the preliterate stage, which might take a kid, uh, a five-year-old or six-year-old, a year to a year and a half to get through, then we start the reading material and the reading material again we have uh, that's more of a solo thing although the teacher plays accompaniments we have a heavy accompaniment and and again music research shows that accompaniment helps music literacy right um so we we provide uh, accompaniments for the teachers they can use our accompaniments or make up their own for, right. for these little exercises and lessons and stuff um <laughs> uh, and, um, and, and then it, within that book, then we start introducing other technical issues, arpeggios, more complicated arpeggios. Uh, and by the end of the book, they're playing multi-voice music. They're playing two-voice music. Mm -hmm. And then we have another uh, book called Tunes You Can Play. That came about because the, we, we had literate kids you know, back in the eighties. And then it's, and then we wondered, well, what should they learn? Right. And so if they went to the, to the, to the uh, uh, repertoire and started listening to records and listening to people play, they'd hear these pieces that they couldn't play yet. Right. You know, right. so, so we created a book called tunes you can play right. and, and uh, we've added to it and we have all that material on audio file. A great, great audio file done by Frank Wallace. I don't know if you. Oh yeah. Yeah, and before he passed away two years ago, and Frank was a, a childhood teacher also oh, wow. for many okay. years. 
and he helped us with the recordings. We have some brilliant, beautiful recordings he did. Oh, fantastic. In that church that he recorded in. Yeah. And um, so uh, we have that. And then we uh, have ensemble material that goes along with those books. Okay. Uh, and it's a whole, you know, pieces in two voices, three voices, right. uh, some four voice work so that uh, teachers can bring in the ensemble component. You know, we want to continue that ensemble component and not just make solo player. Right. Um, and, uh, and then we have a second ensemble book and then we have a second tunes you can play two, which is more advanced stuff. We have things like, uh, well, Frank has some stuff in there. Uh, Dushan Bogdanovich, we, oh, we, have, wow. we have some stuff from him. We have a lot of yeah. uh, source studies. Stuff that studies. specifically for the... No, no, he, he wrote this a long time ago and I, and I had a teacher... Uh, Slobodan Vujicic, who just retired uh, last year, and he knew, uh, he taught in Serbia and uh, okay. uh, uh, knew Dushan um, okay. and knew of these pieces. And so yeah. uh, they were never published. And yeah. so I wrote Dushan and said, can we, can we use them? And he, you know, oh, great. we paid for them. But yeah. <laughs> he said, yeah. And I thought, and they're really interesting little tunes. Yeah. Um, and uh, and so we have Renaissance tunes and uh, arrangements uh, in the Tunes 2 book. You know, we have Soar, um, some Giuliani, you know, the typical right. stuff, Carcassi, sure. um, and, and some of the tunes that our teachers have written, you know, right. that, are, that are very instructive. Um, and so that's, that's how the curriculum looks. And, and of course, we have. I've written a lot of ensemble material for the advanced ensembles that, that uh, people can use if they want. We sell that ensemble. We had, uh, uh, I, I wrote that basically for Austin Bellacorda, most of that okay. ensemble material. And uh, so it's, some of it's real interesting. Uh, kids like it. I try to write with teenage sensibilities and, <laughs> and and uh, maybe I'm a teenager. If, you, if, if, if you've been able to figure that out, good for you. <laughs> well, well, we we were uh, the Austin Bellacorda was really uh, gifted by a lot of our highest level players wanted to be in it, and and they played very well. You know, I had to uh, whip them into shape a few weeks. You know, when they would <laughs> practice and stuff. But as we did competitions, they would uh, usually by the second week before the competition they'd know their parts sure um and uh <laughs> another value of competitions <laughs> yeah, that's right that's right but they they would come in and it was a great very robust and vibrant social experience for the kids yeah, yeah. especially if we did tours or if we traveled uh we we did the first gfa in fullerton uh they played and and uh the competition there and they won that and that was great for them, you know, sure. to, to, to win. At that win age, win. those kinds of experiences are, yeah, I mean, yeah. they, they really and, have uh, impact. Uh, uh, and then uh, the subsequent year we lost, you know, it's kind of like a high school coach, you know, you lose your, your, your halfbacks <laughs> and then you have to get, you have to get a new, a new kid coming in. So we got some new kids and we, we played a hill country competition that they played very well. And uh, I will, those people that play competitions with ensembles and have young people that are listening to this, 
Here's what I recommend. You get your kids to memorize the set. Oh yeah, absolutely. Don't use music. Yeah. And because they can come out and they look good. Yeah. And they, to memorize it, that means they really have to know their parts and they mm -hmm. can interact. And I required that of our groups and they just look so much different than the other groups. Right. You know, they're yeah. no fooling around with music stands. They just come out <laughs> and they look good and they sound they good down they, in, in they, front of yep. their guitars. It's a, it's a really uh, good tactic to use. Yeah. In a, in a competitive environment like that. Sure. So the other, the other thing that, that, that I, I was just thinking of is, so you've got all this stuff going on in, in for, with your program and, and everything that's in Austin. The company itself, like the administrative aspect of the company, is that is that just you or do you have people that work for you as well? well? <clears throat> um, my wife does all the infrastructure stuff. She's okay. a bookkeeper accountant uh, we have a cpa of course um so all of that stuff she does the shipping and inventory of the curriculum so the teachers we have a store that the teachers order their okay. curriculum from okay. so it's all online um i write the newsletter uh, i have a small program i only teach three days a week now okay. so it's three afternoons a week and um That'll probably go down to two afternoons a week uh, uh, in the summer. And, uh, and then in a year, I'll probably a trip down to one afternoon a week. And so I'd, I'm putting more activity on the company. Uh, but I'll do the newsletter. Uh, we interact. I, I, I do the club, you know, adding material to the club. Uh, so the teachers have more access. Right. Um, the... Uh, we have a, a course on the club for the teachers, which are basically lesson plans for every piece of the curriculum. Sure. So if you're teaching page X in the, in the reading book, lesson X, you go to that thing and here, here's some ideas for group activities. Here's some ideas what you want to concentrate on like that in case you need it. Yeah. You know, once, is this all video once, content or is it, is it text? That, that is uh, text. Okay. That's not video. Um, the, the video content is for the students. Yeah. And you created and I, that yourself? Yes. Yes. We did that. Yes. Yes. I work at this. <laughs> um, and, but, but we, uh, that was done in 2019 and that took only, we did about 200, a little over 200 videos, but these videos are, like I said, they were short videos of passages. Yeah left and right hand sure. and still uh, that's a that's a tremendous amount of work to to put that well together. Yeah, yeah yeah but i'm i'm used to working i mean i don't know <laughs> what i would do if i didn't work uh, so so it's 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 fun you know i mean it's it's my mission uh one of the things i learned from in in my college matriculation in religion and philosophy uh is that i was really focused on uh what, what things are meaningful? What are the ultimate concerns of people? And so this, this was a very uh, this was part of the architecture of yeah. me starting in my career for all of this. Sure. For example, when, when I started Child Bloom um, the, the second year 
we started doing, I wanted to know why are parents doing this? Yeah. So we, uh, and, and we, um, uh, did surveys. We did random surveys. Uh, what, what makes you, what would make you choose a, a music program? We did, uh, uh, after about five years, we did a survey to see what our brand was like. Mm -hmm. And we realized that only 3% of people in our marketplace had even heard of us. Wow. And which huh. goes to show you how vast markets are. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we did uh, preference surveys. What instrument would, would you like to play? What instrument do you think you're child would like to play then we did large surveys within elementary schools what instruments would you like to play they're asking kids from five to twelve and uh i know nam uh national association of music merchants mm -hmm. they did a big survey in the 70s a preference survey and they came up with uh 16 uh, i think it was of kids wanted to play guitar mm -hmm. and every survey that we did came within one or two percentage points of that. Interesting. That's yeah. only, you know, 15, say 15%, one in six people yeah. want to play guitar. Right. But if you look at a market, if you look at a, a, a town of 100,000, right. that's 6,000 people. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, 15,000 people that want to play. Yeah. Now, how many kids are in that group? Well, you might only have, in a, in a 100,000, you, know, you, you might have uh, 20,000 kids Sure. Um, and, uh, so, uh, you know, but still that's, uh, uh, uh 3000 kids. That's yeah. a possible market. Right. Now, not all of them can afford it. So let's, you know, take away, uh, 90% of the kids. Yeah. That's not really right in, in the demographics, but let's do that. So, so now you're dealing with 300 kids that want to play and can afford it. Yeah. That's a pretty big program. I don't have 300 students. <laughs> I know. I, you know, nobody. Yeah. Um, I would so, like to have so, 300 students. <laughs> but I, well, I, we've I, had I, some very yeah. successful teachers and uh, that that have very large programs, you know, yeah. over 100 students. And, sure. and um, uh, uh, I think our one of our oldest uh, programs, Polly Maynard, who's in Denton, and she started in nine, 1990. And we calculated that one in 150 kids that lived in her county has come through childbirth. That's and amazing. It, it is amazing. It's That's like, it's like Cub number. Scouts. It, it, for her, it's like Cub Scouts, you know, it's like, <laughs> Oh, are you doing child bloom? Uh, oh you know, gosh. parents. So, so we're That's very fantastic. happy with that. And, yeah. and we have a market up in Minnesota or, or um, uh, Montana in Missoula, uh, that teacher, uh, has has been doing it for about 20 years yeah. and uh uh he missoula is a is a demographic of maybe a hundred thousand people yeah I, yeah and and he has a program of 180 tremendous you know students and that's that's an amazing why why percentage. you yeah. know i wonder <laughs> is it because there's nothing else to do there <laughs> there's that's part of it but th that's th no that's that's part of it but it's also the geography of Missoula. I don't know if you've ever been to Missoula, no. but it's a town surrounded by hills and mountains. So it's really it's ice in a way it's isolated. Yeah. And all the all the uh, the 
the suburbs are on the hills, but all the shopping is in town. Oh, right. So it's like, uh, uh, it's everything is focused down into yeah. that valley. And uh, then we have yeah. a program, uh, typically Child Bloom is a suburban, doesn't work well in the urban areas. We've had people try to do that. And, uh, it, you know, people work in the urban areas, but then they go home to the suburbs right. and they don't want to come back into the urban areas. We've had opportunities to have open up studios downtown Austin. Forget it. I would never do that. Amazing. And, and there are studi music studios that tried that and they yeah. failed because people just don't want to go home and then come back downtown huh. in, and in, the, in and those I, areas. It's, I could, yeah, I, I, would, I guess I wouldn't, wouldn't have suspected that about, about Austin. I would, you know, I think, I think of it as being like, you know, major metropolitan place where, you know, there's probably some, some residents going on in the, in well, the city. Well, most itself, of the music yeah. studios are in the suburbs. Amazing. In okay. Yeah. We have a, we have a, a studio downtown. Well, you can call it, it didn't used to be downtown. Now it's considered downtown, <laughs> but, um, uh, there are neighborhoods down there. And so yeah. we're, we're a kind of a neighborhood studio as the, uh, it, it's, you have to be aware of like traffic patterns and things. All these sure. marketing stuff is yeah. something that teachers have to be aware of. For example, there's a, uh, I'm in Round Rock and, and there is a traffic jam uh, two miles uh, between Austin and Round Rock. Right. Nobody wants to go through that traffic yeah. jam. Not for a guitar lesson. So <laughs> it, it, isolates, it isolates our area. Yeah. You know, so we just focus on our area Interesting. Uh, we don't yeah. have to worry about, and, and if we want an uh, awesome demographic we have to we have to get back beyond that traffic jam sure. similar thing happened in Dallas um, and uh, uh, they have a, a a loop around Dallas nobody wants to come inside the loop right. uh, we had a teacher try to open up a, a thing uh, inside the loop didn't work he opened up one mile outside the loop and he, he had successful Amazing. location. Wow. You know, and do you, now do you have, if for the licensees, do you have um, criteria in terms of, you know, you have to have this kind of space or this kind of facility available to you? Or is it, is that something that the, the teachers choose on their own or is that something that, that you have, have? No, the teachers do that on their own. We, okay. we will consult with a teacher prior to licensing them about yeah. that. Okay. And, um, uh, we don't want to tell the, you know, we want the, te the teachers are basically on their own about that because right. they know their market. We don't know their market and we're yeah. not a franchise. We don't tell them, right. you know, oh, the trappings is another legal word, trappings, trappings. and we don't determine their trappings, you know, uh, we can give know them, what that means. <laughs> uh, it, it means things like, things like the McDonald's golden arches. That's a trapping. Oh, okay. So if you had a restaurant that oh, that put golden arches on there, you'd be sued by McDonald's and of you'd course. lose. All right. right. And uh, so uh, trappings, you know, we, we offer uh, signage and logos and things like that. Yeah. If they want to create their own signage, uh, they and, and a lot of people do. A lot of people do that and use the brand. I mean, the brand is very important. Uh, I mean, Missoula is a great example. The yeah. Child Bloom brand just dominates. Know it, yeah you know, dominates the uh, market there. Sure. Um, also because the teacher is very good. Right. But it, and it's, <coughs> since there's a group component, um, I, I would imagine that the 
that's something that the teachers have to take practical consideration in. You know, if, if I'm just teaching, like I, I teach in my basement, that's my, I have a basement studio, I teach in my basement. Um, you know, it, it, it would be a challenge and actually I do monthly group lessons with all of my students and one of the problems that I ran into is when I got more student, more and more students, we outgrew the space so it became a challenge for me to try to find spaces that I was able to do those group lessons in. So I imagine with the child bloom thing, that's that that falls on the on the teacher. They're looking for the places yeah, that they can yeah, do the, what they the, need to do. Yeah, there's a lot of space options, and that is the first biggest hurdle that a teacher has to. Do. And we we won't license until that hurdle is. And we help. Interesting. Them. Yeah, yeah. we Interesting. we help the teachers in terms of brainstorm with them, you know. And we have teachers that teach at home. We have teachers that teach at churches. We have teachers that teach at freestanding studios that they rent. Uh, we have teachers that teach in uh, 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 art galleries. We have teachers that teach in um, uh, community centers, uh, like YMCA's and things like that. Yeah. Um, and so there's a lot of avenues. We don't determine the location. We don't. Do you have any programs that are in, say, like established community music schools or uh, more quasi-academic? Well, we license, individu we, we license individual teachers. Okay. We don't license music studios. Okay. And so that has been somewhat of an impediment. Uh, we do, but uh, to answer your question, the answer is yes. Uh, Michael Miller teaches at a prep school in okay. Spartanburg. And um, they basically generate the, the child home students for sure. him. And um, I could see uh, where that would be a really positive thing yeah. for both parties, you know. You and Jeff, Jeff Gunderson in Sioux Falls teaches, at, uh, he, he's an adjunct position at a university and they allow him to use their facilities to oh, teach. And, and this is good for adjuncts. A lot of universities will do that. Absolutely. I'm not sure if yeah. Brian does that or not, but. I but, think he's uh, teaching at a church now. I think oh, okay. That he's doing, but, and I, but I don't see know that's the church where he's he's gigging, but I I, I know that um, that's 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 kind of how he's been he's been going. Yeah, the yeah. the uh, if you think of the music studio, uh, uh, I don't know if you're aware of the history of music studios, um, uh, community music schools, community. Right. They started in the 1600s in the in New England. Yeah, and um, the model has not changed. <laughs> um, there, there are probably some downsides to that. <laughs> I, th I think, yeah, I think they have a bit of high turnover of teachers. Yeah. Um, because interesting. You know that they, they, they can't. Teachers can't make a living doing that. Right. right. You know, unless you're teaching fifty hours a week, and right. I don't think any of our t teachers teach more than twenty. Right. Um, uh, and uh, maybe some real go-getters might yeah. pack on a hundred students or something like that. And how, how does it break down in terms of, is, is it all group teaching or there, is there a private lesson component as well? Is it well, mixed? We, we obviously we do offer private lessons. Private lessons are offered, um, but they're priced differently, of course. Right. Um, one of the training, one of the things we do in training is talk about how to price. Pricing is an extremely important uh, thing about running a, a music program. And, and uh, you have to price right. 
and you have to uh, price according to the value that you're giving people. Right. Um, so uh, typically once a child is maybe 14 or 15, uh, they will uh, you know, move into a private format because uh, although I, I, have, I have kids in high school that are in, in group lessons in two and three, and they like that. They yeah. like, you know, bumping up, but they're not like competition players. The competition players are pretty much, uh, uh, you might say, attract to themselves. Sure, sure. And and they would be they would be private lessons and and uh, either a half hour, an hour a week, you know. And they we recommend that they charge accordingly. Uh, we I I don't I don't set prices for the teachers. Because okay. that's illegal. I can't set prices for the teachers. It's 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 price fixing, and right. and because the teachers are independent, the licensees right. are independent. I can't, but I can suggest, like for example, last year I saw inflation coming down the pike in the beginning of the year, and I said, listen, we're you're going to lose five, six, seven percent of your uh, to, your your value of the your tuitions unless you raise your prices. And um, and I said, would you calculate how much that would be? And I mean, I did it for my program, and I raised my prices. Uh, <laughs> I didn't I didn't lose any students. Right. You know, when you do that, um, the pricing is very important. I remember an instance once when I was visiting. A, I was doing a master class in in a, a, one of the locations, and the teacher was really ruminating about. Gosh, should I raise my prices? He didn't know whether he'd lose students. Or... Yeah. And I said, well, have you done a, a market analysis of your area? You know, what the price are? He said, no. I said, so I was in my hotel room and I, this was, I think, back in the early 90s. And, and uh, so I got the phone book out and I just started calling yeah. stu studios. And... Um, uh, I, I asked them, you know, what the price was. I made a determination. And I realized that his was the lowest price by $10 a, a month, you know? Wow. And, uh, and, and, it, and so I said, yeah, you can raise your price and here's what you should raise them for. And he did, and he lost no students and he, right. and he gained $9,000 a year just by doing yeah, that. Sure. You know, uh, and uh, that helped him. Yeah. You know, but it was like uh, you have to be aware of the market uh, and, you, you know, that's so sure. Trablum is really good for entrepreneurs, people that yeah. can do a little bit of this, a little bit of that. They can right. they can market. They can be aggressive. They can write write press releases, although we'll help them do that. Yeah. Uh, they can, you know, talk to the community. They can go out and do do uh, presentations with their their students and things like oh, that. Oh yeah, sure. That, yeah, you know? yeah. Brian's Brian's told me about some of those that he's done. Yeah, and and really, yeah. Again, I I keep coming back to this idea of you know building this community, you know, and and, and having having that be in the, in the centerpiece of it. So yeah, very very cool, very very cool. So what's next? What's what's uh, you you mentioned that you know you you you've got the the club going now and you've moved some of the the, the training for the teachers and the directors online. Um, what's uh, what's what's going to be the next well, big what, thing for the child boom program? <laughs> that's a good question. 
Um, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to kind of uh, uh, attrit my students so I can spend most of my attention on the national uh, yeah. program. Uh, because we're online, I certainly welcome teachers, you know, to investigate the program and call me uh, and talk to me about it. Uh, and uh, uh, it, it, although the training, the online training is not a throwaway training, it's like the instructor training takes a lot of hours to go through. Yeah. And uh, the director training is that plus, plus the marketing, yeah. you know, so it's, you'd probably spend uh, a, a good two weeks yeah. online for three or four hours a day with yeah. the training, I think, but it does, it's there in case you forget it. See the problem, right. one of the problems I that's, noticed yeah, with the, that's true, with, yeah. with, the pro, with the past training is people would come and there'd be so much information right. in a week that then they'd go home and become paralyzed because they wouldn't know what to do first. You know, right. uh, there's so much information, and it would take them two or three months to call me and have me repeat the stuff that we did. So th <laughs> this is a real good. This is yeah. a real good uh, thing. It's it's the the teachers have uh, uh, access to it, and um, so uh, I I hope to. Uh, 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 interest more teachers in developing more markets. There are yeah. hundreds and thousands of kids that want to play guitar. Yeah. And um, uh, there are a lot of potential tribal markets out there um, that people can earn a living. I, I remember when I was, uh, when I was in college and uh, I, I loved guitar. I loved yeah. music. I loved guitar. I love to play. I love to teach. And I, uh, I had friends that were carpenters and they were building their houses. And I, I remember going over to a friend of mine's, he's building his house, his, he had a wife and a little child. And I thought, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to be able to have that huh. you know, because I love yeah. guitar and music too. Yeah, much. yeah, yeah, yeah. And so part of Child Bloom was saying, okay, Let's not be starving artists. Yeah, it's okay to be successful. <laughs> yes, yes. Let's let's do something that is of value, and let's not necessarily rely on the institutions, like you know, waiting for that phone call after you yeah. graduate from the university. Mm -hmm. It ain't going to happen. Right. Um, and uh, make something in the marketplace because people want their kids. They want art. Yeah. They do. Absolutely. And the the average everyday person wants to be able to, you know, be able to uh, play music. Right. You know, uh, they want their kids to, to have that. Um, I experienced a lot of uh, uh, East Indian families. We're in Austin, of course, the high mm -hmm. tech. Uh, Forty percent of, of our wow. clients are East Indians. Wow. And I asked them, how come, how come, yeah. why are there so many East Indians here? And um, they said, because we want our kids to know music yeah. and be able to play music and do music. We want them to participate in that yeah. and to, to, to be knowledgeable about that. And I found that that's true. 
in, in just the marketplace. You don't have to go to the universities. You don't have to go to the churches necessarily. You don't have to whatever the other institutions are. Yeah. You don't have to go to academia. You go to the soccer fields. Right. That's where you find your students. Sure, sure. I, yeah, I love that idea. You know, one of, one, of, one of the things that I constantly am, am, am kind of bouncing around in my head is this idea, and just the arts in general. It's like, let's, let's, let's take the arts to the folks. You know, let's, it's not, you know, we, don't, we can't expect them to, to come to us, you know, that, that's, that, that model is, is extinct. And, and, yeah. and people, like you said, people want the arts, they need the arts, they, they're motivated, motivated by it. So we as creatives need to take it to them, you know, that's right. whether, you know, whether that's I, on a soccer field or in a bar or whatever, it's like, <laughs> you know, let's, let's, let's get, let's get it to them, you know. That's right. That's right. We, I doubt if 10% of the clients that have come into child Bloom even have a, a classical guitar CD. Yeah. Right. They're not into classical guitar. Right. They don't know what but that we is. We teach yeah. classical guitar. Right. Yeah. Well, that's how we I, teach I mean, skill. That's, that's how I started. Yeah. I didn't, yeah. I didn't know what classical guitar was. It's just something I had been playing guitar for a few years. Well, I haven't done this yet and here's a teacher and that's what he does. And he seems like a sure. nice guy. I guess I'll take guitar lessons from him, you know? Yeah. And that's how it starts, you know? Yeah. And, and even the, the young, young students that I've had in the past, you know, their, their parents don't know what classical guitar is. And I, right. I tell them, look, this is what I teach. And, um, you know, and they're, if they're fine with that, they're fine with that. And then, yeah, you know, but they, that's the our role as educators. Kid, the kids yeah. don't care. <laughs> the kids yeah. just want to That's right. That's right. And, and there are some interesting studies about why the kids don't care. Yeah. Uh, and, and the literature. And uh, 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 so, um, uh, and a lot of uh, preference surveys in the literature came about with the advent of MTV. MTV changed, wow. the, American, changed the American culture, MTV, because it was the first time you didn't go get an album or something. Right. It was on TV. It was coming into your house. And, and it absolutely changed the American culture. Amazing. Um, and so the music educators uh, in the 80s were, were confronted. You know, they were all classically trained. Most of the music educators went to college, universities, yeah. where they were classical trained. And so they wanted, can we teach kids uh, classical music? Or do we have to teach them right. you know, rock and roll or the latest stuff? And and so that issue, I, I wondered about that issue myself. And, and there are some studies that, a lot of studies in the 80s address preference, preferences and preference surveys and stuff like that. Um, and style and, and, and uh, how children relate to style. Yeah. Um, what ages, are there age differences? There are. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, the, the average age of a, the mean age of a, of a child, being able to perceive meter in music is nine and a half. Interesting. Yeah. And huh. uh, uh, that's also the, the, there's a Piaget concept called nominal realism. And uh, which, which says that uh, kids think the names of things are embedded in the things. Okay. So, so if you say, uh, you know what a cloud is, where's the name of a cloud? And a young child will say, it's in the cloud. Um, and um, he wrote a he wrote a book called the child's conception of the world Piaget um, that half of that book deals with that question he asks he asks kids 
And the average age at which kids realize that names of things are in their head is nine and a half, same age as huh. they can perceive meter. Um, wow. The mean age. And, 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 and that's also indicative of the fact that children don't know, they, they can't accurately self-reflect about, about their learning. Right. Um, and uh, so uh, uh, that also has impact as how you teach technique to kids. Right. You know, how, how intensely are you going to teach technique to kids that can't self-reflect very well? Right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. <laughs> Great. Well, I, 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 I really appreciate your time, Kevin, and it's been rather enlightening. Um, and, and congratulations to you for, for building a really strong thing and something that, that I think serves communities everywhere and serves the guitar in, in very positive ways. And, and, and it's, you know, you mentioned that you're seeing kind of like your second generation, you have students from the program teaching in the program and you have, you know, students that started in the program, your young ages now entering the marketplace and being very successful. And that's, that's gotta feel great. And, and uh, you know, one of, the, one of the things that's come up a lot talking to many of the guests is, is this idea you know, I'm I'm not I'm not as young as I used to be, and when when I was a young person, people were not playing at the level that young people are playing at now. In fact, most professionals weren't playing at that level, and and I think, you know, those kinds of that change it, it, it's a generational change, and I think, you know, programs such as as yours obviously have had a, a really deep impact on on that, well, and that's well, that's great. Well, thank you for. Uh offering this and uh, I hope it, it, it explains a little bit about what you know Charblum is about how it came about I imagine you're easy to find on the internet if people are interested in more information uh, it's just Charblum.com Charblum.com slash instructors if you're an instructor and you want to know about it um, and uh, uh, so we have basic information I, I, I don't pretend that reading that will uh, Make, make someone a, a, a director, but but yeah, they, they need to, we need to talk, you know, if someone's interested, I'd be glad to talk to them and Zoom gives us a good, uh, a good opportunity to do that and meet face to face and that sort of thing. Well, I, I appreciate it and best of luck to you and maybe we'll, we'll speak again in the future. All right. Well, Carl, thank you so much and uh, good luck with what you're doing and promoting the guitar and uh, 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 I look forward to, to, to listening to more of your podcasts. Thank you. All right. This is Carl Wolwind of Columbus Classical Guitar. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Guitar on My Knee podcast. For more information and past episodes, please visit columbusclassicalguitar.com or Carl Wolwind Guitarist on Facebook.